Amen. Fantastic. So, um, I don't know how many of you who have children, uh, like Rosie and I have children, I don't know how you handle things with your kids, um, but about just nearly a year or so ago, Rosie and I started to give our children pocket money uh, for the first time. And um, it wasn't particularly that we thought that they needed it, um, or even really that we wanted to give it to them, being completely honest, um, but we wanted to seize an opportunity and to find a way to begin to teach them the value of money um, and how to handle their money well. Because if there's one thing in our lives that we all need wisdom in, if there's one area, no matter how old we are, that we could all make mistakes in and that can cause us stress or worry, it's money, isn't it? And so uh, we're going to watch a quick video to do with children and see. Uh, children are asked a bunch of questions to do with money. We're going to see how they answer. But as you enjoy that answer, I want to encourage you to think about how you might answer these questions for yourself as well. So why don't we watch this as we get started? I love money. Yes, I like money. Money. Uh, sort of. Yeah, a lot. Because I like to buy stuff. It gets you stuff that you want. Um, because you can buy stuff with it. Um. Shoes and food. Pokemon. It's for stuff that I really need. Fun stuff. I like to buy a lot of different things. Like a pet or something. A really nice house. Clothes. Starbucks. Candy. Science. Buy a toy. Clothes and shoes. A lot of math games. The princess crown. Pokemon. Buy my toys. Ten dollars a day. Five thousand dollars a month. A little bit in a lot. Fifty dollars a day. Billions of dollars. Zillion. If you're a really good major league baseball player, you make about $30,000 a year. I plan to never stop asking my parents for money. Wait, what? So I love that the grown man is honest enough to admit that he's never going to ask stop uh, stop asking his parents for uh, money. Um, you know, money can be a topic, though, that we can find it awkward to talk about, can't it? Um, and it can be a topic that um, we find it awkward because maybe we're afraid when people start talking about money that they're talking about it because they want some of it from us. Um, or maybe we find it awkward to talk about money because actually when we think about money and our finances, we know that our finances are not in a particularly good state. They're in a bit of a mess. And so we don't like talking about money because really we just want to put our head under the sand and kind of pretend it's, it's all just going okay and we, we don't want to go there. 
You know, but when we look at Jesus and when we look at the Bible, it becomes impossible for us not to talk about money. Because you see, Jesus spoke more about money and wealth and possessions than he did about faith. He spoke more about money and wealth and possessions than he did about prayer. He spoke about it more than he did about heaven and hell combined. You know, when we look across the whole Bible, there are over 2,350 verses to do with handling money and possessions. And if you look just at the book of Proverbs, where we've been focused recently, then there are 43 verses that deal with money. And I think this is because God knows that money is something that affects all of us. That our approach to our finances impacts on every area of our lives. And so God wants to speak into that and he wants to give us wisdom and he wants us to help us to begin to skillfully live his way when it comes to our money and our finances and our possessions. And sometimes I think we read verses in the Bible to do with money and it can get a little bit confusing. I don't know if you've ever, ever felt like it and you've read a verse and you kind of wonder, well, how does that fit with, with that? Because sometimes we read verses in the Bible and we kind of end up with the impression that, that having lots of money and being rich and wealthy is somehow connected with being good and following God. And that if we have lots of stuff, then it's a sign of God's blessing on you because you are living for him. And in other places, the Bible approaches money from a completely different angle. If you, particularly if you start reading through the minor prophets, then people like Amos who, who say things more like, I, I don't know, the, the idea that you want to get left with the idea that money is evil and that people who have lots of money it's, it's bad because it's all mixed up with taking advantage of people. It's all mixed up with being selfish. It's all mixed up with, with putting yourself first and treating other people unfairly. But when we look at the teaching of Jesus and we look at the book of Proverbs, what we see is that there is nothing more or less godly about being rich and there is nothing more or less godly about being poor. Money is simply presented to us as a tool. It's like, if you could imagine, money is just like a tool, like a hammer. You know, and a hammer can be, be used in a, in a positive, in a good way to build things and to accomplish stuff. Or it can become a really dangerous tool as you use it to break things and to hurt people. And that means that when we talk about money, it's not an issue of how much you have, it's an issue of what you do with it. And so the focus of Proverbs isn't actually on money itself, but it's on our attitude towards money. The value that we attach to it and how we use it. You know, as I've been preparing for, for today, I have felt God challenge me when it comes to my attitude towards money in a new way. And so I'm in this with you, wrestling with this alongside you. And so this morning, I don't want to come and try and make you feel guilty or make you feel like I've got it all sorted or make you feel awkward. But what I do want is I want to encourage you to not kind of shut down because it's a topic that you feel awkward about, but to be open to what it is that God may be wanting to say to you. And how it is that he might be wanting to highlight specific ways that you can grow in skillfully living his way when it comes to your finances. 
And if there's one thing that I think is foundational to, to everything else when it comes to handling our money with wisdom, to skillfully living his way, it's coming to understand that everything we have comes from God. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Every good thing we have, everything that we would count as our riches, we have because of God's blessing. And this understanding of, of, uh, of money is modeled to Solomon, who writes the Proverbs by his dad, King David. In 1 Chronicles 29, we read about how the people of Israel have, have come together and they have generously given out of their wealth. They've generously given gold and silver and all the stuff that they have in obedience to something that God has asked them to do. And, and I love the way that David then prays and talks about money here. In his prayer, we we read about how he prays that everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. We read about how wealth and honor come from God. And then at the end of his prayer, in verse 14, he says this. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have have given uh, given you only what comes from your hand. The starting point for handling your finances and your possessions with wisdom is to understand that everything you have comes from God. And everything in heaven and earth belongs to God. And this means that every single thing that I have, every single thing that you own, whether it's your house or your car or your clothes or the money in your bank account, All of it has been given to you by a generous God who loves you. And all of it ultimately belongs to him too. And you might say, hang on a second. I've worked hard for what I've got. And to an extent you'd be right, but who created you? Who gave you the abilities and the health to be able to work hard? Our ability to work, our very existence, our our health that enables us to work hard, all of it comes from God in the first place. And we owe it all to him. And this is something that I think many of us who have been Christians for a long time would all kind of go, yes, I agree with that. But actually, it's incredibly challenging when we begin to think this through. And so often we don't, or certainly I don't, live in light of this truth. You know, often I think we can end up being a little bit like little children. You know, you don't have to watch children for very long when they start playing together to to find a child shout out something like, That's mine! Even if they go to someone else's house where nothing belongs to them, they will somehow find a way to get their hands on something and have this sense of ownership, this sense that it's theirs, and they want to keep hold of it, and they lay claim to it as their own. And there seems to be something in us from the moment that we're born that wants to take ownership of stuff and say, it's mine. We think, this is my stuff. My time, my house, my money, my car, my gifts. 
And what we can lose sight of is the reality that we have been entrusted with these things by our generous God, and ultimately they all belong to him. And when we get this and we stop thinking about our money and our possessions as things that we own, that we can do what we like with, and start to think of everything that we have as belonging to God, and that we've simply been entrusted with it, it changes everything. And we realize that we're just managing his stuff. You know, someone may own a a business and put a manager in place. And the manager has control over all of the assets of that business. But they don't own them. They can't dip into the till and just take money out of it for themselves. They have to give an account for what they do with what they've been entrusted with to the owner. It's the manager's job to find out what the owner wants done with his assets and then to follow through on their instructions. And this is, is really the big idea that I want us to try and get hold of today, maybe for the first time, or maybe just to get it deeper into our hearts, out of our heads, and into our hearts, and shape the way that we see things. That it would change our, our mindset and our attitudes from being owners to being managers, to being stewards. That we could move more and more away from behaving and living like owners, like what we have belongs to us, and we can do what we like with it, Towards living like stewards, knowing that everything that we have belongs to God. And there are some great, um, well-known verses in Proverbs 3, where we read this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And this instruction to trust God and to submit to God, rather than do things our own way, is as much to do with our finances as it is to do with every other area of our lives. But the proverb goes on. It says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And what has really struck me in these verses is is what it means to honor God with your wealth. Because the word honor literally means heaviness or weightiness. And this idea is that you honor something when it weighs heavy on your heart. When it weighs heavy on your mind. When you can't stop thinking about it. It's significant and it's important to you. That's when you know that you honor something or someone. Because you take great care because it weighs on you. This is a big thing. And so the key question here is what weighs on your heart and what weighs on your mind when you think about your finances? When you look at your bank balance? Is it all the ways that you could spend the money? The things that you want to to buy? Or maybe the things that you feel like you can't afford to buy? And you're worried about how you're going to make it to, to the next kind of paycheck? You know, that would be the most normal thing to weigh on your heart and mind when you look at your bank balance and when you think about your finances. You know, that's certainly a, a mindset which 
when I'm just left to myself, I default to. And yet Proverbs is inviting us to center our lives and to center our thinking on God. And to let God weigh heavy on our hearts when we look at our budget and our finances. When we look at the money that we have to to keep us going to the next paycheck or the amount that we've got saved away that we need to decide how we're going to invest and how we're going to use. That what weighs heavy on us, what matters to us is the simple question, Jesus, what do you want? This is your money. You have entrusted it to me. How do you want me to use it? And this is a a serious business because what we've been entrusted with has been given to us for a short time and like a a manager of a business to his owner, at one point, at the end of things, we will give an account for how we use it. Every pound we spend, every purchase we make, every online order that just happens so easily at the click of a button, every day and hour and minute that we've been given, One day we will stand before God and we will have to give an account of how we have stewarded and managed what he gave us in this life. Proverbs 11 verse 4 says, it says, Riches won't help on the day of judgment, but right living can save you from death. And this is hugely challenging. You begin to to think about it and how, how we're stewarding what God has given us. And we're going to unpack some of the ideas and we're going to get practical in terms of this as we look at Proverbs and how Proverbs helps us to see what managing our finances God's way looks like. But if I had to summarize the approach of the book of Proverbs and really the approach of the whole Bible when it comes to money into a single sentence for you to try and get hold of, it would be simply this, that God is looking for managers that are faithful with what he has given them. That you are an owner of nothing, but a steward of everything. How would your life look? How would it look if you lived like a steward or a manager and not an owner? When it comes to your finances and your possessions, to ask, what, do, what would you like me to do with what you have given me, Jesus? And sometimes Jesus might say, go and book a holiday for your family. I want to bless you and you need that time to be refreshed and you need that time to invest in your family. Or he might say, keep it in the bank and save it because there is a time that is coming that you are going to need it. I'm going to have need of it for the future. Or he might say, I want you to be generous and, and give it away Give away the blessings that I've given to you. What would your life look like if you live not as an owner, shouting, mine! But as a steward, managing what's his. And here are a few ideas that I want to give you. So the first one, and this is the biggest one really, and if there's one thing to take away, this would be it. But number one, make a plan. I think the biggest thing that we, has hit me is if I am going to be a good steward, if I am going to manage well what God has entrusted to me, 
then I need a plan. I need an idea and a vision of what I'm aiming for. And then I need to make a plan about how I'm going to get there and what life looks like living that way, how I'm going to manage what God has given me in the best way. Proverbs 27 verses 23 to 24 says this, says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Now I imagine, unless some of you have kind of small holdings I don't know about, that that pretty much none of you here have any flocks or herds um, that you need to kind of count and make sure they're all there still. But you know, really what this is all about is paying careful attention to your assets, to the assets that you have, whether that's money or savings or things like your house um, or your car. Know where you stand financially. Your riches won't last forever, so have a plan and a budget to make sure you don't waste them. You know, and if I'm honest, you know, throughout, and Rosie and I were chatting about this a little bit last night, but if I'm honest, you know, throughout our married life, Rosie and I have only operated on what I would call a loose budget. You know, we've had an eye on our incomings and our outgoings and made sure that our outgoings are less than our incomings. We've made sure that we've prioritized uh, giving and being generous and we've saved where we can. But we've been fairly relaxed in terms of our finances and our assets. And one of the things that has challenged me personally in preparing for today is that if I am going to live as a manager and a steward, rather than as someone who feels like I own the things that I have, then that's not good enough. Because I'm one day I'm going to give an account before God for every pound that's been spent. And if I'm going to make sure that none of it is wasted because it's not mine to waste, then I need to have a plan. So whether you simply call it a plan or whether you call it a budget, um, if we are going to manage well what God has entrusted to us, then we need to establish parameters about how we use what we have. Uh, One of the people who challenges me and inspires me more than anyone else, whenever I look at their life and and things, when it comes to money, is John Wesley. If any of you have ever taken time to look at John Wesley, you cannot help but come away being challenged to do with his approach to money. And I want to just share with you one incident from Wesley's life, which has really kind of set set him straight. This is what kind of changed his whole mindset and his approach to money and the way that he lived and he taught um, on from here. This is how God convicted him and changed his perspective. And it was while he was, he was still a fairly young man and he was a fellow at Oxford University. Um, and that meant that he was uh, in a fairly well-to-do kind of lifestyle and he was fairly well off and he enjoyed what he had in the same way that all of his peers did. And so he enjoyed gambling and he enjoyed smoking tobacco and drinking brandy and all of that kind of stuff. And then one day, he had just come home from um, being in town and he'd bought a picture for his apartment, for the room where he, he, he lived. And um, a chambermaid came to his door. Um, and it was the middle of winter and the chambermaid was wearing nothing apart from a really thin white tunic. And it was cold. And so 
he was, he was struck that she needed protection from the cold. And so he reached into his pocket. He reached into his pocket to, to pull out money to, to give to her so she could buy a coat. And when he did, he found that he didn't have enough left. And it struck him that God was not pleased with how he had spent his money. And so in his journal, this is what we read that he asked himself. He said, will thy master say, well done, good and faithful steward. Thou hast adorned thy walls with the money that might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy, are not these pictures the blood of this poor maid? Wesley became convinced that all that God gives us All the resources that we have, whether it is money or time or energy, he gives us for the sake of the poor. That we are to spend only what we need on ourselves and then we're to give everything else to caring for the poor. And so Wesley, he made a plan. That was his vision. He started with a vision of what he was convinced of and then he made a plan and he set parameters about how he was going to do life to make sure he managed his money in the kind of way that God had convicted him to. And so he worked out that he only needed 28 pounds a year. Now this is going back a couple of few hundred years. That wouldn't get us very far today. But he only needed 28 pounds a year to live on. At the time, I can't remember the exact amount, but I think he was earning something around about 36 pounds a year. So he wasn't, you know, he didn't have a huge amount left over. There wasn't loads of excess. He needed about 28 pounds a year. And and everything else that God had entrusted to him that went above and beyond 28 pounds, he would give away. And he lived by that principle for the rest of his life. And as he went on, he grew to be one of the, have one of the highest incomes of every person in the country. Um, From the books that he was writing and the different gifts that came in, at one point his income was over 1,400 pounds a year. And he still lived on 28 and gave everything else away. Now, I don't know about you, but that challenges me. And I'm not suggesting that you or I should try and do exactly what Wesley did. But what we see with Wesley is that he got hold of something of the fact that he was a manager and a steward and not an owner. And then he made a plan about how he was going to live that out. About how he was going to manage well and steward well what God had given him. He took his job as a steward seriously. And so I want to encourage you to take seriously and to make a plan. Or if you've already got a plan and a budget, then to revisit it prayerfully, asking God to confirm to you what he wants done with what he has entrusted you with. And so the first and most important thing, and if you want to take just one thing away from today, is just simply make a plan. But here are a few ideas of of things that you might want to try and include in that plan that we get from Proverbs. So number two, plan for your giving. Build generosity into your life as a priority. That was kind of what Wesley came away with. That was his big thing. You know, we read earlier from Proverbs 3 about honoring God with our wealth and with the first fruits of our crops. And you know, again, we probably don't have crops, but we've got ways of income that come in. And what this really means is that we give God the first and the best of what we have. That we give to God first as a constant reminder that everything that we have ultimately comes from him. 
and that we're simply managing his assets. You know, and people can often get caught up, and I often end up having conversations with people thinking, and they get caught up in, uh, with how much is the right kind of percentage, and they hear about things like the tithe and, and giving 10% and all that kind of different stuff. But actually, if you look at the Old Testament, which is where most of that comes from, you added up all the different types of gifts and offerings that the people of Israel did there. It's not 10%. It actually comes to more like 25%. So if you want to follow Old Testament rules, then you can increase your giving. Um, if you look at the New Testament, it doesn't really talk about any of that at all. If you look at the New Testament, what, we're, what it talks about is being generous and honoring God and giving free will offerings with what it is that, that God has, has given us. And that, that's different amounts for different people. And what it means to be generous for someone who is struggling to make ends meet from day to day is very different from what it looks like for someone to be generous who has a lot. The issue isn't about a set percentage or a set amount of money, it's about our hearts. And it's about being generous and honoring God and putting him first. And that means it's not something we can ever just say as a tick box, yes, do that. It means it's something that we constantly have to revisit because it's about our hearts. Say, am I still honoring God, putting him first? Am I being generous with with what it is that he's given me? And 10% is a great starting place in terms of that, particularly if this is all new to you, then it might even be way too much. But exactly what this looks like is between you and God. It's about your heart and getting hold of the fact that it all belongs to him and you want to honor him and put him first with what he's given to you. You know, but we also see that in Proverbs that our plan for giving is not just about what we, uh, not just about a tithe or what we give to God. It's also about being generous with others and particularly caring for the poor. Uh, Proverbs 14 verse 21 says this, says, blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. And Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. To skillfully live God's way when it comes to our finances, to steward well what God has entrusted to us, we need a plan for our giving. Uh, Going back to to John Wesley, uh, he said, the question is not how much of my money will I give to God, it's how much of God's money will I keep for myself. That's a big question, isn't it? Number three, then, the next thing is that we need a savings plan. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. How many of us have been fools sometimes? You know, we need to save for emergencies and unexpected situations so that we can best take care of our families. We need to save to invest in our children's future. In fact, there's another proverb we're not going to look at which talks about having enough money to invest in your children's children's futures. We need to save so that when other people have needs that come along, we're in a position where we're able to give. Number four, we need a plan to avoid debt. Um, You know, debt used to have a stigma attached to it and be this kind of negative thing, and and it's become more and more acceptable and, and normal in our kind of society now. But Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. When we end up in debt, it has control over our lives. It limits what we can do. And in a sense, we become slaves to that debt. 
That is horrible. And sometimes we end up in debt because of our bad decisions, and sometimes we end up in debt through no fault of our own because just circumstances and situations that happen in, in life. Sometimes, though, it's because there is something inside of us that drives us to want to buy stuff. Because when we get that new clothes, new car or the new clothes or the new shoes or we, the new gadget, the new phone, there is, for a moment, for an instant, it brings us joy. And we feel great. And then it passes, and so we need to kind of buy the next thing and the next thing. And if we want to avoid that cycle that leads to debt, or at the very least, even if it doesn't lead you to debt because you've been blessed with having enough, it leads us to wasting the resources that God has given us. Then we need to start to budget and to make plans and put plans in place to avoid it. And then the last one I'm just going to mention today, there's lots we could talk about, the last one I'm going to mention today is number five, enjoy God's blessings. You know, the great thing is that when we put these plans in place to give and to save and to avoid debt, then it frees us up to be able to enjoy the blessings that God has entrusted us with without having to feel guilty. You know, as we read about earlier, it's the blessing of God that makes rich. He wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy his blessings. You know, how many of you... <clears throat> If you give a, uh, a gift to someone on their birthday, if I was going to give Rosie a, a gift, say I've got a, I don't know, a, a new necklace or something, and um, I give her this, this gift of the new necklace, and, uh, and Rosie opens it, and then she sets it aside, and she says, thanks, didn't really want that, I'll give it away. How many of you want that kind of a response when you give a gift to somebody? You'd be upset, wouldn't you? And you'd be hurt. You know, when I give my children a gift, what I love is when they kind of open the present and their little faces light up and they want to play with it immediately because they're so excited about what they got. And I think God is the same. He's not this cruel God that wants us to live on a bean on toast every week. He wants us to honor him with what he's entrusted to us. But he also wants us to enjoy his blessings. And when we've made plans to ensure that we're, we're being generous, made plans to ensure we're avoiding debt, made plans to ensure that we're, uh, we're, we're putting God first, made plans to ensure that we're, we're saving for, for the future, then it frees us up to be able to plan in a family holiday or to plan in a date night with your spouse or being able to be indulgent with your kids and to actually enjoy God's blessing. And so whether you think of yourself as having a lot or a little today, because there'll be people here in both categories, I simply want to encourage you to ask yourself and maybe talk with other people in your family what would it look like for me? What would it look like for us as a family to live as stewards and as managers rather than as owners? What plans can we put in place to make sure that we honor God and manage well what he has given us so that we can stand before him on judgment day and be held to account without fear? Knowing that we've done all we can to put him first.
And when we ask those questions, we don't have to ask those questions with a a sense of fear. Oh my goodness, what's God going to ask for me? Am I going to be okay? We can ask them from a place of trust. Knowing that God is for us, that he wants to bless us, that he's promised us that that when we seek him first and when we put him first, he takes care of everything else and he will meet our needs. That he's our provider. And we'll all have had times when we, we look back and we'll all probably have times in our future as well when we make mistakes with money and we use it badly and we make impulse purchases and we waste what God's entrusted to us. We'll all have times when we put things before God. And so it may be that we need to come to God and say sorry today. Because we realize that we've done that and we can see that in our past as we, this kind of brings it into sharp focus for us. That we've mismanaged his resources. We've mismanaged what he's given us. We've sinned and we need his forgiveness. And the amazing news for every single one of us, because we'll all have done that in some way or another, is that just as God is generous and he he gives us every good thing that we have, he is moved by his love to be generous with us and sacrificially he gives of himself to meet our greatest need. He is moved by love and compassion for broken people like you and me. And we see that in no greater way than when Jesus was willing to leave behind the riches and the glory of heaven and become poor on this earth. To live a life that none of us could ever have lived and to to die a death that none of us would want to have to die. To pay the price for all of the mistakes that we have made, whether it's to do with our finances or it's to do with anything else, That he died on the cross in our place so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be set free. So that we could be given a fresh chance and opportunity and washed clean and made right with God. And so we're going to come to communion. And if the band could come up, that would be great. And I want to encourage you as you come to communion to confess to Jesus the mistakes that you have made with your finances. But then to receive his forgiveness, not to go away feeling burdened or guilty or condemned, but go away feeling light and forgiven and clean and pure before God. And then take courage from the fact that God is for you to such an extent that he would pay the price, that he would die in your place. And if he's for you to that kind of extent that we remember as we take communion, then how much more can you trust him that he is for you when it comes to your finances and when it comes to other areas of your life? And so you can take courage knowing that as you put him first, he will, he's got you in hand. And so ask God today to give you a vision of what it might look like for you to live not as an owner but a steward. And to help you to begin to make plans to put that in place with how it is that you handle your finances. So we're going to come to communion. If the guys who are going to help me serve could come forwards, that would be be fantastic. Thank you. And the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me.
Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your amazing sacrifice. We want to thank you for your amazing love for us that moved you to put us first, to be willing to pay the price so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be washed clean, so we could be made whole and made right with you and have relationship with you again. I say, Jesus, we want to praise you and we want to rejoice in you For the fact that we can come today, wherever we're coming from, whatever our situations, whatever we've been struggling with, knowing that we're coming to you as our amazing Savior who loves us and has forgiveness for us today. And Jesus, pray particularly when it comes to the area of our finances that you would forgive me and you would forgive each one of us for our wastefulness with what you've given us. And you would help us to begin to see the blessings that you give us in a different way to realize that they don't really, they're not things that we can say, they're mine and we own them. They belong to you. And you would help us to manage them well, to steward them well so that you would be honored, so that you would be lifted up, so that you would be put first, so that we would be set free to be able to not just enjoy them ourselves, but to care for the poor, to invest in your purposes and your mission in your church. So they'll come and meet with us today. Let us know not only your forgiveness and your cleansing, but give us a fresh vision of what it looks like to follow you and to put you first when it comes to the money that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.